Hello, all you bookworms, and welcome to Oh, for the Love of Books, the show that gives tidbits of interesting facts about books and a bit of narration from the books I read. I'm your host, Jessica Vickery, and today we're going to talk about bookmobiles. Also, the next chapter from J.R. Ward's Claimed, The Lair of the Wolven New Series. So a nostalgic look back at the most awesome vehicles the man ever invented. Nowadays, you don't have to put much effort to get a free book from a library. You don't even need to leave home. You just open up your library website, and chances are you could borrow a digital version of the book you want to read. It was not always so easy. The search phrase, library near me, didn't work because there was no internet, and in many cases, there was no library near you. And it's where bookmobiles provide to be extremely useful. Before the digital age, they were like a free access to the internet. They brought answers to questions people were looking for, and they brought entertainment. A lot of entertainment. The first bookmobile in the world operated in Great Britain in the mid-19th century. Launched in 1857 by a philanthropist, George Moore. The horse-drawn wagon served books from bookshelves mounted on the outside. The library traveled between eight villages in the Cumbria County in northwest England a tradition of delivering library service using special vehicles is the strongest in the United States, but it doesn't mean they were not present in other countries. And this is what this overview is about, to give you a chance to see bookmobiles on the streets of France, Japan, India, Canada, Germany, Australia, Spain, Sweden, and lots of other places around the globe. We've also managed to discover a few mobile libraries that were used in former communist countries, Poland, Czechoslovakia, and Yugoslavia. Obviously, the bookmobiles from the United States had to be included in this overview. However, instead of pictures you've already seen many times, you can enjoy rare images found directly on archive or blog pages of American public libraries. Most importantly, each bookmobile has its story. You will find here not only the picture and date, but also a more detailed information about each vehicle. Bookmobile, book truck, book wagon, book bus, bibliobus, mobile library. No matter which name you use, these vehicles are among the man's most important inventions. Okay, so next up, J.R. Ward's Claimed. Chapter 4. The Black Dagger Brotherhood Mansion, Caldwell, New York. Fuck. Hex, beloved Shellen of the Black Dagger brother John Matthew, shot upright in bed and grabbed the center of her chest. Yanking at what was covering her, she tore her way down past the duvet in the sheets. And when she came to her naked skin, she clawed at her. Big, broad hands captured hers, and as she blinked, she didn't see her mate, 
she saw a man, a human in a white lab coat, taking control of her body, pushing her down, so he could put a hypodermic needle in her. The scream that came out of her shattered the dim quiet of their bedroom, and her panic took over. She fought hard, kicking with her feet, bucking her body, twisting under the iron bars locked on her wrists. Baring her fangs, she struck at the forearm, at the bare bicep, at anything that came close, blood flowing into her mouth, onto her naked breasts. She was going to lose this battle. She always lost. No matter how hard she tried to fight, sooner or later she was overpowered and at the mercy of the white coats, of the experiments, of the torture. A raw sob broke free of her throat. No! The whistle was high-pitched and ascending, an audible flare that rose in volume an octave until it owned the air around her. Surrounding her and penetrating through the incendiary terror, Hex paused her battle, her hoarse breath still tearing up and down her throat. John? She said in a whisper. The whistle repeated in precisely the same cadence and pitch, a slow ascension that went from low to high, and that was when the veil lifted from her eyes and she could see properly the male facing her. John Matthews was exactly as he always was, from his dark hair to his blue eyes, his strong face and his wide shoulders. Motherfucker, she moaned. Oh, God, what have I done to you? He was bleeding from bites all over his arms, the drips staining the sheets red, the horror from the nightmare being replaced with the horror that she had hurt him again. I'll get a towel. I'll get some towels. As she went to pull away, he tugged at her wrists. Then he mouthed, I'm fine. I'm okay. No, 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 no. This time when she tried to take her hands back, he let her go, and she fell out of the bed, landing in a heap on the rug. Before he could help her, she thrashed her legs around and jumped up to her feet. As she lurched for the bathroom, one of her ankles was killing her. She must have knocked it on the mattress frame, like she fucking cared. Their bathroom was across the way, and she felt like it took a hundred miles of flat-out running to get to it and as she stubbed her toe on the tip of the marble floor, she caught the door and slammed it shut by mistake. The light in the shower's bright white expanse had been left on, so as she went to the sinks, its illumination flooded from behind her and turned her into a ghost with substance, nothing but a black outline of a figure. Her hands were shaking so badly that cranking the faucets was like brain surgery, and when she finally got the water running, she didn't wait for the warmth to come up from the pipes. She cupped her palms and splashed her face. The fact that the dark wine taste of her mate's blood was still in her mouth shamed her to the point of nausea. And just in case, she glanced over to the alcove where the toilet was. Yeah, she could make it, if she had to. Her legs felt better, more with the water. Splash, splash, splash. Every time she closed her eyes, she was back in that lab, 
and not in a memory kind of way. As in, she was actually there, in her body, trapped and being worked on by humans. The cool water was good, but the fact that she shut her eyelids every time she made the round with her palms was making things worse. She needed to reground in this reality, in the real reality that was splash, splash, splash. As she finally turned off the water, the dripping in the basin was a soft sound, almost a chiming, and she threw out a hand and patted around, hoping to run into a towel. When she felt some softness, she pulled it over and pushed her face into the terry cloth folds. Then she swept them up and over her nearly shaved head, rubbing as if that would somehow scrub away the remnants of the trauma. That was when she heard the voices out in the bedroom. God damn it. See, this was the good news and the bad news about living in the mansion with the Brotherhood. You were never alone when you were in the house. But you were never alone when you were in the house. Taking the towel with her, she went to the closed door and leaned into the wooden panels. Sure you okay? That was Quinn, which made sense. Quinn and Blay's bedroom was next door. Oh, shit. Off in the distance, she could hear the high-pitched howl of a young who had been roused from what had been a blissful sleep in its crib. Great. She draws blood on her halloran, wakes up the neighbors, and scares the shit out of an infant. There was some silence as John signed, whatever response he had, and then Quinn was murmuring things about getting help for days like this. Days when Hex woke up in a fit from a recurrent nightmare that hadn't been happening anymore until recently. Now the fucking thing was like the worst house guest you could have, rude, noisy, and never leaving. There was another stretch of silence as John communicated with his hands what he could not share with his voice. Then Quinn spoke some more, another silence, briefer now. Then the other brother was taking his leave. As the door to the hall of statues was shut, Hex sagged then rebraced herself and stepped out of the bathroom. Here, she said briskly. I'll clean up what I did. John Matthew was, well, pretty fucking resplendent in their now messy, bloody bed. His naked torso was padded with muscle, from his shoulders to his arms to his ribbed stomach. And as she approached him, her eyes lingered on the star-shaped scar that marked his pectoral, the sign of the brotherhood, something a male received when he joined. Yet John Matthew had had his since birth. Sitting down, she took his hands and carefully wiped where she had bitten him. He was in such incredible shape and so well-fed from taking her vein on the regular that she could practically watch the marks of her fangs and front teeth sealing themselves up. I'm so sorry. She said when she could trust her voice. And even then, it was a croak of syllables more than actual words. I'm fucking sorry. John shook his head, then took his hands back and signed, Don't be. I don't care about 
You should. You should care. You're being terrorized in your own fucking bed. Hex, what can I do to help? She folded and refolded the towel in her lap. Wear chainmail? I suggest tying me up. But that's what got me into trouble in the first place. In that lab, she added to herself. Her mate was signing more things, supportive things, things that broke her in half. How this male stayed with her, she had no clue. He was better than her on so many levels. Yes, she said. I'll deal with this, somehow. Yeah, because the subconscious was easily controlled, which was why people only ever did shit they were fully in charge of. No problem. I am sorry, she whispered. Ordinarily, in her job as head of security for various clubs, and in her life as a half-bred sympath, she was a hard-ass, capable of staring down drunk humans who were out of their mind on Molly and wouldn't have recognized even God himself standing in front of them. But in this bedroom, behind their closed door, John Matthews stopped signing and just held out his battered arms. There was no censor in his face. Or his eyes. Nothing but love and acceptance. Well, and worry. Hex wanted to be strong, but as she collapsed into her Helrin's arms, she didn't have a choice. I'll make it up to him, she vowed. Somehow, sometime, she'd figure out a way to be normal. Well, that concludes my episode for today. I want to thank you all who have taken the time from your day to listen to me talk. I hope you found the information I gave you interesting. And for those who are interested, next week's podcast is going to be about the first ebook. If you like my podcast, subscribe to my show or please send me an email to justvicvoice at outlook.com. That's spelled J-E-S-S-V-I-C-V-O-I-C-E at Outlook.com with your thoughts and questions. I would love to read some out on the show. Thank you again, and please join me next week on Oh, for the Love of Books. And as always, dream big and keep reading. <laughs>